Hi, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of The Jay Davis Show. I'm super excited to have Kenneth Berger with us today. Hi, Kenneth. How are you doing? I'm great. Glad to be here. Well, why don't you kind of tell people you're an executive coach, uh, former Slack, a bunch of other amazing accomplishments. Why don't you give people a background and kind of a bio on how you got to where you are? Sure. Yeah, so I, I came out of the tech world, worked at Slack, was a startup founder, worked at Adobe for many years. But these days, I kind of work with that same community, but in a really different capacity, right? Because, you know, I had this moment where I thought, okay, I'm a pretty good product leader, but who who are the people that are working on making, you know, the startup life sustainable, right? Because I was seeing all these people, myself included, burning out, being stressed, and so that's kind of what motivated me moving over into coaching. So now I work with that community, but instead of talking about, you know, what's the next feature we're going to build, we talk about what are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your fears? And like, what are the things really keeping you from creating the life you want? It's amazing. Uh, and you've been doing this for seven years. Did I read that right? Seven, eight years? Not uh, stopping anytime soon. I love it. What what was it like at Slack? Can you can you kind of walk? Was it Slack or was it somewhere else where you kind of had this epiphany that you need to focus on this? You know, I'd say it was both at Slack and at and at my own um, startup, you know, which is called YesGraph. And so, I think part of part of the the sort of dichotomy I saw in both of those places was I got to see all the best parts of the startup roller coaster, right? That. You know, I founded my own company, you know, we raised money, we had employees and office, you know, we had customers and at Slack, I got to see the sort of rocket ship, you know, part of the equation, right? Going from, you know, being very early, you know, just launched product to, you know, massive hyper growth and all this press and fame and sort of, you know, audits from users. And at the same time, those were some of the most stressful years of my entire career, right? And I had so much conflict with my co-founder, I had conflict with the CEO of Slack, you know, this sort of, you know, famous tech personality and that. And I think that conundrum was sort of what got me thinking about, about that, that, yeah, we, we all love, you know, what's possible being an entrepreneur and being in a growing company, but how do we work through the sort of interpersonal conflict or stress? And it got me kind of interested in solving that problem first for myself and then realizing, you know, just how passionate I was about helping other people. Yeah, it's amazing. I love that. I I I love. I wrote down even, uh, you know, roller coaster and rocket ship. I've been a part of both, and it's interesting that both have their own unique challenges. Like you have those businesses that it is just like, for whatever reason, you kind of hit it right out the gate. Which I think Slack is maybe one of the best examples ever. Uh, that just, and and maybe it didn't always feel that, but from the outside, it very much seemed like it was just this rocket ship. And then I've also been part of startups where it's, it's that growth, but it's kind of that up and down growth that sometimes you feel like you're on top of the world. And sometimes you feel like you're not going to make it to tomorrow. So it's, it can be an interesting challenge. What have you learned about coaching people through those, through those startup challenges? Well, you know, I could talk to you about coaching, you know, of course, but I think, to me, you know, one of the lessons that's been sort of, you know, most universally resonant among my clients is just working on how to ask for what you want. Because I think people tend to have challenges with that regardless of sort of what their personality or experiences are, right? And so, you know, for me, like 
I was, you know, I was what I think of as like a super strong asker, right? I've never been afraid of, you know, speaking up for what I want and, and you know, making noise. And the challenge with that, you know, with myself, as with, you know, most people like that is that it's it creates stress on relationships, right? It's like people don't always like having this aggressive asking sort of energy in their face, right? And it sort of speaks to this balance that we all need to have. We want to create, um, you know, the sort of the, the outcomes we want in our life. Yes, we need to be able to stand proudly for what we want, what we care about. And we need to get good at building relationships because you're not going to get any of the things that you want that you're asking for unless you've actually built these respectful, trusting relationships with other people. And so for me, I'm always looking with that with with clients, right? That they're having trouble getting what they want. If they're feeling stuck. Like, what can I do? You know, I, I feel like there's nothing yeah. that's possible for me here. I look for sort of what's, you know, what's the, what's the sort of thing holding them back and asking. And I think often it's one of those two things. Either they're not standing proudly for what they want, or they're not really building relationships, right? Maybe they're being disrespectful or, or, or sort of not asking in a skillful way. It's amazing how I think every, every group struggles with that. Uh, it's, it's always the challenge. Even our executive team at Pillow Cube recently, we were on a retreat and kind of everyone at the same time was like, we kind of need like a family therapist. Uh, you know, cause I think that that's something that, especially for me, as we've grown the business and you get to a certain number of people, you just kind of hit a point where you just, it just, especially with this, uh, startup journey, it is just hit me over and over again, how much it's about people, um, and how easy it is for us to think like, oh, business is just like, you know, making widgets or, you know, making stuff or whatever we make. And it can, we can kind of trick ourselves into thinking it's this very detached machine. And it's like, no, it's a machine run by people. Like it's all about people, it's human beings interacting, working together, trying to accomplish something. Um, so that really resonates with me because I can see that in my team. There's some of us who are really good at asking what, for what we want. And there's some of us who are kind of quiet. And then all of a sudden it's like kind of bubbles up and uh, kind of explodes <laughs> sometimes. And so it can be really difficult. And it's interesting because I, I find, you know, it's the grass is always greener, right? Like I see these people who seem so confident, you know, people you, you so many people admire like, oh, yeah, this person seems invincible. Right. And they end up feeling really lonely and distant because part of feeling invincible means, yeah, sometimes you're kind of pushing people away. Right. And you're not you don't have that natural ability to build a close, trusting relationship. Right. Because that energy that we might read as confident can also be kind of not very vulnerable, right? Where you don't really share with people how you're feeling or what you're thinking. And that gets to be lonely after a while, right? And so there's a real cost to sort of, you know, presenting this very strong, confident exterior. And on the flip side, right, I think, you know, a lot of people who are are sort of less confident about asking, more more worried about pleasing people, um, you know, it's it might seem, you know, it might seem like those folks struggle, but often they're the ones who are really good at building relationships and being more vulnerable at trusting. And, you know, the, the thing that can be surprising for them is they put all this investment in relationships where once they actually do start asking, they're thinking, holy crap, I've had a whole lifetime of building social capital, <laughs> but now I get to leverage. It's like, yeah. gosh, I didn't know what I had. Yeah. That's so interesting. What do you, as you work with people, uh, through coaching, what, what's some of the aha moments people have or where, where do you kind of see a lot of progress? especially for those who may be like doubtful or, or kind of like 
unsure that they need a coach. I'm someone who's like, I've loved having a coach. It's been total life changer for me, but what are the things that, yeah. What are the things that you think really help uh, people, especially with work? You know, I mean, again, you know, could talk you off on, on a hundred different things, but to me, part of, um, part of what I think underlies a lot of the sort of more operational struggles that, that people deal with, because of course we always start there, right? Someone says, oh, you know, I'm having conflict with so-and-so, or I'm trying to do this new initiative and people aren't coming along in the way that I want, or I want to create this thing, but I'm not sure where to start, right? And so these things that can seem very nuts and bolts practical are often have this thing underneath that's really about like whether or not I feel safe as I am. Um, which might seem really abstract, but part of what that does when you're not looking for something external to feel safe, as in, oh, I'm only safe as long as so-and-so likes me, or as long as, you know, I get everything right, or as long as whatever sort of, you know, external source of safety you want to pick, right? Then it's high stakes. You, just, you think, oh shit, if I don't get this thing, then okay, I, you know, I'm not okay. Um, yeah. And so I have to, I have to avoid this thing at all costs. And so things become really, really scary quickly. And so the power of saying, you know what, I'm going to be fine no matter what. Like, okay, maybe this business fails. It's a bad economy. I'll start a new business. I'll get a job. It's not the end <laughs> yeah. of the world. I'll be fine. Yeah. And easier said than done, of course, but that fundamental confidence of saying, I'm fine as I am, no matter what happens. Ironically, that can be the thing that gives you the freedom to actually go really big for what you want because it feels low stakes. You're like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. But if it doesn't work out, it's fine. Um, yeah. And I think often people think it's the opposite, right? Of, oh, this is so important. I need to really feel the stakes. And in fact, that tends to be paralyzing, makes it hard to act in the way that you want. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a great point. I think it's hard for people to develop that naturally. I think that's a lot of times where we've had these aha moments of like, oh, we kind of need a family therapist because it's, or, or, you know, an executive team therapist um, because it's easy to kind of just be like, oh, no, we're at work. Like we, we're not, we're not, you know, we don't need to think about how vulnerable we are or how, uh, you know, how much social capital or whatever that concept is. Uh, it can be easy to kind of just think as of work as this separate thing that's different, but it's really just interpersonal relationships. So totally. And it's, you know, and it's one of these funny things where it's not like at work, we don't have feelings and in our personal life, we're just constantly in tears over the, the, you know, the struggles of life. It's like, no, like, you know, even in our personal life, right, there's usually a good balance of, you know, the amount of, you know, which we're having vulnerable, more emotional conversations and more just, you know, we're having our day, going along, doing normal things. And more the way I encourage people to think of this is, you know, it's not like a black and white thing, right? And that if you can invest just a little bit into being vulnerable at work, it actually gives people so much context to understand where you're coming from, right? Just to say, oh, yeah, I'm feeling a little tired today or I'm feeling a little worried about this meeting that's coming up or, you know, I want to ask you this, but, you know, I'm a little unsure of how you're going to receive it or, you know, whether you know, you're going to take it the right way. And just that little bit of kind of emotional metadata, like it really helps people understand you and connect with you in a deeper way. So it's not about being, you know, hippy dippy emotional at work. It's actually just about being clear about like where you are and what you want. It's awesome. Well, I have, I want to kind of put you on the spot a little, I have two scenarios that I see a lot and I'd love for you to give feedback and, uh, kind of tell me 
or tell the audience? Because I think it is something that I see in startups all the time. So the first one is I noticed that most CEOs, and I think this actually goes along when you, you were saying kind of your initial idea, it goes along so well with that of you have askers and then people who struggle to ask. Uh, but I noticed that most CEOs either are, I, I would say most CEOs are visionaries, but they either struggle with getting the confidence to just say, and I've struggled with this, say, look, I'm the visionary. Here's where we're headed. We need to head there. And so when you struggle with that, it usually is very difficult because people are like, where are we headed? And you're, I was like, I told you where we're headed. And they're like, yeah, but you don't. When you say it, you're kind of like, hey, I think this is where we should go. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I think you have the opposite side of like people who are like, I know exactly where we're headed. They can be feel kind of totalitarian in their approach, like no room for change. You know, kind of Steve Jobs is maybe that classic example uh, in the tech world. What advice would you give for those people who find themselves kind of one or one or the other of those examples. So first of all, I love that. I mean, definitely a familiar <laughs> scenario. And I think, you know, one, I, I think, you know, what I discussed before certainly does apply, but one metaphor that, that I find can be useful in these situations is talking about range, right? Because if you're a great asker, it's not like I'm asking you to abandon that skill. No, you're great at it. Lean on it. Fantastic. Or if you're really great at building a relationship, sure, like lean on that, right? You don't need to be the one asking aggressively. But, right, that tends to be a pretty narrow range. And so if you have someone that's leaning on a pretty narrow range, if they're always at nine or 10 intensity, or they're always at one or two intensity level, right, that's going to be pretty limiting, right? We all want a bigger toolbox to handle different situations. And so I think that can be a nice way to think about it, because it doesn't say, throw out your personality, it sucks, let's have a new one. It says, your personality is wonderful. The skills you have are wonderful. And if you want to be more effective for what your goals are, let's try and build a broader range of skills. So let's try out what seven feels like if you're at one or two. Because for those people, seven is going to feel crazy. Like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe being that direct and that clear and maybe even loud in the way I say it. That can be a really great stretch to get them into having that felt experience that you can be at seven intensity and people don't freak out. It's actually okay. And so in that way, you can kind of prove to yourself empirically, yeah, I can do this. And like, they don't immediately hate me. It really is actually effective and works. And same thing for the opposite scenario, right? If you're at eight or nine, try a three, right? Try a, yeah, you know, I'm thinking maybe, um, you know, if you wouldn't mind and see what kind of reaction you get. Because for those folks, they've never tried that in their life. And so they don't even know, maybe they think, oh, I'm going to look weak. I don't like, you know, how this, how this sounds. This isn't me. I say, all right, let's just try it once. It doesn't have to be you. But let's see what results you get, and then you can decide whether or not it's a tool you want to add. Yeah, I love that. Man, that's so awesome. I've never heard someone explain it that way, and that immediately clicks. Because I, I think that's the natural feeling we get. We see people like, I look at you know, Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or whatever kind of more asker uh, example or hero or whatever you want to say. And I'm like, man, why, why aren't I more like them? Like I need to just be, and I think we all do that. We all look at, we all constantly compare ourselves. And so I love that idea of like, Hey, just develop the range. Look at where you kind of naturally stay and then push yourself a little bit into that boundary. Cause I think it also gets overwhelming. That jump from one to, to nine is a scary jump. It's like, man, that's, 
that is not something that I want to push into. But to push to a four, I'm like, yeah, I can push to a four. That's that's yeah. attainable. And the reality is, right, probably most of our, our communication should be in that middle range, right? It's like that range of like four to seven, you know, it's probably going to be a pretty effective range where we're not shouting. We're not saying, oh, I don't take no for an answer. Because I, I actually, that's one of those things that always bothers me. People saying, oh, you know, you can't take no for an answer. And to me, that's really disrespectful. That's saying like, oh, I don't believe in consent. I'm just going to get take a yes no matter what, right? It's like, whoa, that's not really cool at all. Um, and so to say, I actually am going to take no for an answer as a sign of respect. To say that I respect your agency, I respect your ability and your right to say no. And the counterintuitive thing can be that once you actually respect someone's no and say, you know what, I hear you. Like, no means no. All right. Then that can open up the opportunity to say, oh, gosh, like, what do I do now? If instead of pretending that no didn't happen, I really accept it. Now I've got a new set of constraints to actually move forward and think about what my next step is. That's awesome. Well, maybe these are softball questions for you. You're 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 knocking them out the park. Uh, my second one that I see a lot, I notice, and I think a lot of this is like in some ways some very positive. Like, I think a lot of businesses have moved towards more. Uh, we want to be nice. We don't want some of maybe those authoritarian kind of cultures. But what I notice then happens is there's more. I think it's in in psychology, it's called triangulation. So, you know, person A has a problem with person B, but instead of telling person B, they just tell person C. Um, you know, and so, and, and then the venting. So we kind of go vent, like, oh man, you know, Jay's a jerk, but he's a nice guy, so I don't really want to say anything to his face. But I'm just going to vent to my coworker, and we're both going to vent about this other person, but we're not going to address it. And that venting kind of like it seems from my experience somewhat alleviates the pain, but it never resolves the pain. So I noticed that like, I think, and as I talk to friends who are running businesses, I think that's a common problem I hear about where they're like, you know, we have a hard time just speaking directly. Some of it you've already answered uh, where again, maybe that's, we just have a lot of ones in the, in, in the workforce now, but any, any tips or things that you would recommend for a group, especially a team who is maybe struggling with like, how do we kind of come and have more direct conversations without people losing their minds and being super offended or you know, whatever happens? Yeah. So this is, this is a great one. Definitely, you know, familiar as well. And I think there's, you know, there's a few different ways to approach it. Right. So I think this is, this is one where setting a cultural norm can be really helpful. And that's one of those powers that sort of founders and CEOs have in a unique way versus other people in their organization. And so you can say things like, you know, at this company, we don't gossip, right? Because it's easy to sort of dress these things up in kinder words of like, oh, and we're, we're just venting or, you know, I just wanted to, you know, raise the issue first. But really, you know, to me, this is gossip, right? And so, and so, you know, and it's fine, right? Like maybe that's that's normalized for for one culture. But if you want to have a culture that doesn't have gossip, that's something you can say. Like, you know, here, when we have an issue with someone, we talk to people directly about it. And we trust that that person is enough of a grown-up that they can handle whatever emotions they have related to that feedback. Um, and so in, in a certain way, it's it's a culture of respect that says, I respect you enough to to, you know, to trust that you can handle whatever feedback I have. And 
you trust me to give feedback in a skillful way, where I'm not going to come in and say, you're a big dum-dum, I don't like you. I'm going to come in and actually give thoughtful, respectful feedback so that, you know, even if it maybe hurts a little bit to hear, um, there's sort of a mutual respect there in terms of how you communicate. I love that. So I think that's great. You know, I, I think another thing that can be useful there around, um, you know, or around you know, this, like how to address gossip is, I guess it's, I'm trying to think of the, the right way to say this, but Nah, I don't know. I'll leave it at that. I love that. I I, I wrote down gossip and trust. I, I think a lot of times it's giving people a framework and kind of shared verbiage of like, hey, when we're doing this, like you said, we can we can soften it by pretending like what we're doing is venting, but what we're really doing is talking behind each other's backs. Uh, and if we're honest with each other, it's because we don't trust each other to take. We're worried that that person is not capable of handling the direct feedback. Uh, and I think when you kind of describe things to people in those clear terms, usually it's probably shows what kind of team you have because the right team, I think would be like, yeah, you're right. That is what we're doing. We need to, we need to stop that and knock it off. Um, so I love it. That, that is great. Well, I feel like this is turning into just a J coaching session <laughs> that I, that I'm hey. getting for free. <laughs> I'm up for it. And and I like That's the way awesome. you're framing that too, because I to me, like, you know, there's always two sides to these things in terms of how you solve an organizational problem like that. Cause that's not an yeah. individual issue, right? That's gonna be something that's probably a broader cultural thing. It's like on the one hand, you can work on the cultural thing, right? Of like, okay, this is how we do things here. This is what's normal for us. But on the other hand, we've got all have sort of individual barriers to that, right? If someone is having trouble asking for what they want directly. It's not because they don't want to, right? It's not because they don't have the best intentions, but usually they have sort of an individual personal sort of barrier they're trying to work towards. So if like, oh, yeah. like maybe the way I feel safe is I'm just super nice to people all the time. And so I never say anything that might ruffle feathers. And so for them, like you're asking them to do something that's really, really scary because that's their whole world is like, this is how I function is I only say nice things to people. Um, and so for them, like, you know, they may struggle more with it. And so that's that's often where kind of one-on-one -on -one work can be useful because there's the big picture of, hey, I'm telling you it's safe to do this. And then there's these sort of individual personal struggle, which is like, okay, I hear you, but it still doesn't feel safe for me. Yeah. I love that. Now, it, it, it again goes back to me. I mean, this is again, just this, it's very cliche, but you just go back to every single one of us has things that from our childhood, from how we were raised, our personality, and they bleed into work so much. And I think that's why, uh, you know, the the executive team, when we were talking and saying like, we kind of need a therapist. And it's like, we do because it is just solving these personal issues. You know, that's definitely something for, I think for a lot of people, exactly like you said, some people it's like, I survive by just being nice to everyone all the time. And yeah, but then all of a sudden you get in a role where it's like that becomes really hard. Like sometimes you have to be very direct, uh, and and otherwise it just never becomes clear to everyone, and everyone's frustrated and can be very difficult. So, well, what would you? So if someone's like listening to this and they're like, okay, I should I should get some coaching. You know, we've convinced them that they uh, they should get a coach. They really should. 
I don't think anything has had a bigger impact on my career than getting a coach. Uh, what should they do first? What would what would your recommendations be? Hmm. You know, I, I mean, maybe I'm a broken record here, but I do think getting getting clear on what you want, you know, is a is a good place to start because I think that's part of what makes coaching, you know, a little different than therapy, for example, right? Is that it's really focused on a goal. And so I think sometimes when I get people that come to me and say, Hey, Kenneth, you know, there's nothing, you know, I'm really that particularly interested in. I just want to level up, you know, just like up my game. And I'm like, well, why? I mean, your game seems great, you know, like, let's be happy with your game if, if your game's working for you. Um, and so, you know, often in those scenarios, there is something under the covers, right, where maybe maybe they don't feel satisfied, right? Or maybe they do have a sense that what they're doing isn't enough, right? And so we can get into that. But having that identified, like something that you can actually, that actually is meaningful to you, that you're willing to invest time and energy in, that that can sort of kickstart the whole process because then you've got a motivation to show up, you know, to spend whatever money you're going to spend, to spend the time doing the practice. Um, and so if you don't have that, then, you know, sometimes people just don't show up because they say, you oh, know, I got a job, I got work to do, you know, why do I want to work on myself? And so knowing upfront, this is what I'm working on. This is an outcome that would be really meaningful to me. I think that tends to create that sort of positive feedback loop where they can keep making progress and keep making progress and and see that progress towards like what they want to become. Well, I think that's such a great point. The, the coaching is so powerful because all the most, I would say, like if you compare it to athletics, they all have coaches that push them and uh, the most successful athletes have someone who is helping them to see, hey, here's what you're shooting for. You want to be you know, in the NBA or you want to be the best player on your team or you want to, you know, become an all-star, whatever it is. And then they're helping them see whether they're on track or not on track and what they need to do. Uh, and I think that's very similar. I think my coach has really helped me to see, Hey, you want to become a better leader uh, and a better entrepreneur through the things that you think you need to develop. Let me help you actually develop those skills rather than just kind of writing them down every January and kind of crossing your fingers, hoping something changes. <laughs> so I think it's, it's I, so helpful. I think that's a great example, actually, you know, of, of the, you know, professional, you know, athletes, because I think that's a scenario where a lot of them really do have the same goal, right? They say, I want to be the best, right? You know, I want to be, you know, the best example of whatever my, my corner of the athletic world is. And I think, to me, one thing that is a little bit different with executive or business coaching is that often the people I'm coaching, they've already reached a high level, right? Like they become a CEO yeah. or a founder or a VP. And so often they've spent, you know, the first half of their career just going up that ladder, like doing what the industry says is the next most prestigious thing to do next in their role. And I think part of what's interesting when you get to that point is that often you do have to start sort of thinking more in more nuance about, you know, what do I want if I don't just want to be the next level up of whatever I am, right? Like, uh, and that's where we get to goals like, well, I just want to be a better leader, not because, you know, it makes me look hotter on LinkedIn, but because it's just meaningful to me. Like, it's something that that I care about and I want to see those that output in my life. But that's really different than just saying, well, I want to be better at football or I just want to be a VP instead of a director. No, I think it's, a, I think that's such a great point that I think, I definitely noticed this among amongst founders that a lot of people hit those higher levels and then all of a sudden they're kind of like, oh, I, I kind of thought the higher level was the goal, 
And then once they achieve that higher level, they're like, maybe that wasn't a good goal. Maybe I need a goal more tied to helping others, giving back uh, my passions, what I'm excited about. Um, I talk a lot about this book, but have you read the the book by Will Smith and I think Mark Marant? No, I haven't, it's, but it sounds uh, like Will. I should check it out. It's really great, but it, it kind of goes into that, that Will Smith really felt like he reached the peak of everything he'd set out in life to do and then got there and was miserable. And so he kind of all of a sudden started to go through that process of like, what what actually was my goal and should that have been my goal? And then if it wasn't a good goal or I should have been doing something else, what is my goal now? Because I've kind of accomplished these things. And so it's a, bit, it's a great book. It's a really fun uh, kind of story, but it reminded me of it when, when you were saying that. I love it. Um, any, any other recommendations for people who are maybe never had a coach, they're an executive business leader, uh, obviously they can go to your website and, and schedule a call. Like what's kind of that process, uh, for you, if someone wants to talk to you about being a coach. Sure. So, um, definitely head to my website. It's kberger.com, K-B-E-R-G-E-R. And uh, send me a message. So I work with startup leaders, so founders, CEOs, VPs, um, and you know, typically in the you know tech or biotech sector. But I'm always always happy to have people reach out. You know, happy to chat. That's awesome. Uh, well, thanks again for coming. That uh, time just flew by. Uh, and yeah. thank you for the free for the free crypt coaching session. I appreciate it. <laughs> I got hey, a lot anytime, of, Jay. A lot of great information out of it. So. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thanks for coming.